All right. If you uh, you can flip over in your worship folder, you see that um, sermon title. We get a rather juicy topic to talk about this morning as we are going through this series of um, Psalms for Days of Trouble, and we are here this morning talking about the trouble of evil people. And I'm not making that up. Uh, I'm getting this from verse one here, where the psalm prays, "Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men." Um, so that's where this title comes from. And why in the world would we um, talk about this as a congregation? Um, that might seem a little bit unsettling. Um, and thus, there are several reasons. One is even though you know all of these crises we're in now, then um, there are always people involved. And when people are involved, things can go well, things can go not well, things can be just, and things can be very unjust in the way that people handle them. And we are exposed to these things every day. Uh, we do see um, near and far where um, people are really wronged. I've uh, just read several articles on situation in China this week about Christians there and the, the Uyghur people, Muslim groups. And we see these things as well that, um, that are really wrong. Um, but the main reason we're talking about this is because the Psalms actually talk about this quite frequently, that this is a part of God's word. And this is, this is one of the situations that God wants his people to come to grips with as a people. And that might apply to us in different ways, whether in our own personal lives or whether in others that we know or um, people far away. But we are going to dive into this and see what God has to say to us and pray that his spirit would, would apply this to us in a beneficial way. So let's go to the passage, Psalm 140, and I'll read it. Uh, this is God's word. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net. Beside the way they have set snares for me. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my God, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further the evil plot, or they will be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, these are heavy words that you have put before us, but good words and true that are useful um, for us. So we pray that, um, that you would, in your spirit, that you would teach all of us. You would humble us and help us to hope anew in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to tell you to start out the last time, about the last time that I really lost my cool. Um, and I don't mean normal, everyday losing my cool, like stubbing a toe or something like that, which would be too many to name. But I mean the last time, like, I really lost my cool. Um, and this was, and I'll say, this 
just to put you at ease uh, that I'll be as respectful as I can be to all parties involved here. But I've talked about the situation with a landlord that I had a couple of years ago, a couple of times, where that was the last time I could remember feeling like just the injustice of what was going on was palpable. And it was, it was very disorienting to feel like how could, you know, somebody break a promise um, that where there was an explicit promise made and then just go back on it uh, for his own benefit and, and not for me. At least that's the way that I saw it. And that's what happened, is that, that we had a disagreement moving out about, about something, and then we worked it out on the phone and made a promise and then showed up, and then it was, um, he decided to, to go back on that. And here's what that position that that puts us in, um, is that there is a wrong done. There's a real sense that injustice has not been done. I mean, it was kind of shocking to me. Like, how, how can this just happen? And yet at the same time, you know, it's, he was not an evil guy. I would never describe him that way. Uh, he was, you know, he had a wife and kids and taking care of himself and wanted, you know, the situation to, to go well in the way that he thought it would go well. And so there's this sense of, what do we do with this? What do we do with this whenever there's been a wrong done by people that seems just truly wrong? And yet at the same time, there's still people. And we have to somehow make sense of this, and we have to somehow deal with these senses of injustice in a helpful way. And that can be really complicated, and it can be really tricky. And here, you know, this is what this psalm, I think, is leading us to struggle with. I don't know if you just, even this term, like, deliver me from evil people. Like, who would you characterize as an evil person? I mean, we could think of the most evil person you could think about. I mean, like, maybe like a Jeffrey Epstein or something like this. And something that someone that's just just so egregiously wrong that you know, we might feel good about it, but yet and still, there's still people, and we like aren't we especially as Christians encouraged to you know seek people seek forgiveness and seek restoration and to turn the other cheek and to love our enemies and all of those things, and then especially if you have been wounded, like a landlord situation is one thing, but if you have been really wounded like by somebody, uh, which you might have been. And yet those things linger, and they are very difficult to deal with, and they can be a part of our something that affects our lives for as long as we're alive. And so it can be really be a problem. Uh, and so God in his mercy, both near for us and far when we see these things happen to other people uh, or even the church at large, people around the world, we need help in sorting these things out. And that's why we've been given psalms like this. Uh, they're an important part of scripture that God has given us. And the main point, which I'm going to drive at, I'll tell you right in the beginning, is that this psalm is encouraging us to deal with these things through him, first of all. And we'll unpack what that means. But because only God has the ability to be both infinitely merciful and infinitely just at the same time. And that's what we're going to uh, unpack here. And there's three things that this psalm is going to uh, help us do um, in the, making the first point in the first place that this all is directed to God. So we see that we are already being directed you know, as a congregation as we read this to deal with this before God himself by taking this to him. But if we unpack it a little bit more specifically, then you know there will be three points here. One is leading us in the process of telling the truth, of asking for help, and then of thanking God uh, for his justice. So that's what we're going to uh, look at. 
Uh, so in the first place, we'll start here in the beginning, and we're going to uh, tell the truth. This psalm is encouraging us to tell the truth. And um, in specific, there are two ways here. And the first is about what the problem is, telling the truth about what the problem is uh, that we are facing. And we see this in the very first place, that the, psalm is, the psalmist is leading the people of God to label the deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. That's from evil people. I guess encouraging us to uh, even say out loud uh, what this situation is, that this is true evil uh, that is happening here. And what does this mean, evil men? Like, can we say that? Uh, What does that mean? And I think if we look further and we can see why they are characterized this way, um, that it is less less personal and it is more a characterization of the actions that these people are taking. That throughout here, these people are characterized by um, violence here in verse 1, deception in verse 2, you know, the exciting wars or conflict continually, slandering a couple times, you know, trapping, tripping up someone in their purposes. They're arrogant. Uh, they're crafty. And so that these are people who are, who are, their actions are those that we would say are wrong. They are unjust. Uh, they are counter to how God has, um, has designed his people and asked his people to act. And so in that way, they can be characterized as evil. And I think if you look at the variety of these things, another thing we have to notice is that this is not a personal labeling of any one particular person. Like any of these things, they're quite diverse. And that does a couple things for us, um, that that it makes this psalm more widely applicable to all of us, even though we're coming from different situations. You know, you might be in a situation where the main issue is slander, and you might be uh, in a situation where the main issue of injustice is deception. And this is, this is casting a wide net so the people of God can, can grapple with a wide range of situations. But it's also is bringing the focus more on these actions of evil, about what is the injustice that is happening here, um, and giving us the courage to actually label those things as unjust and as not right, and being able to say um, that they're evil. So this is a, in, in just summarizing this up, is that we see in the, in the, right out of the gate that this psalmist is encouraging us to actually tell the truth about the injustice that has happened. Uh, this might be privately in our, in, you know, to ourselves, um, or it might be corporately if the situation um, is, is right about that. And, you know, many of us know, I mean, Carla just listed a lot of these things when she prayed, that many of us know what it's like to be slandered or to be wounded by someone's words. Or somebody who um, doesn't like us or doesn't like credit we've gotten or something like that would resort to um, wounding us socially by spreading things about us or saying things to us directly or passive aggressively that are really hurtful and that are not right. Um, many of us know what, what this is like. Um, and, you know, many even just looking at where we are um, in our time is that some of the things that we stand for as a people of God are not that popular and they're getting less and less popular and that we might not have known what it is like to be slammed or, shan- or, or slandered for claiming the name of Christ, um, but we might going forward. We don't know that that has been a part of the, what it means to be the people of God throughout history. 
Um, and so what this is leading us to um, is this, is that the first step of this is actually to bring the reality of the injustice before God and to tell the truth and to acknowledge what it is um, that has happened to us. But that's not the only thing that we're encouraged to tell the truth about. Um, that if we go on further, uh, if you look in verses 6 um, and following, 6 through 8, that there's somebody else that in the same time we're also called to um, tell the truth about, and that is about God. And often it is much easier to tell the truth about how we've actually been wronged than it is to acknowledge that God, some things about God, that he actually hears us when we say these things to him, that he is actually our salvation and our strength, and that while we are wounded, he covers our head, that he is our great warrior, that he is defending us at all times, that he is good, um, that he is the one who in the end will be the one exalted and not the ones um, who were causing injustice. And both of these things at the same time are crucially important. Uh, because what it can feel like um, is to acknowledge that God is good and that he is our strength and that he is our defender when we have been wounded is that there's kind of a, it, we can feel like we're being violated because we feel the wrong and we feel the injustice so strongly. And to say these things about God, it can feel like that you know, undermines the injustice that maybe we shouldn't feel it quite so strongly and we should feel more hopeful and such because of the way that God is. But, or it brings into question about what God is up to, is that if this can happen and he is good, then that doesn't make sense. And so right out of the gate, the first step in this process, the psalm is bringing these two things together by encouraging us to tell the truth about acknowledging that injustice is real and it has no part in God's world. It does violence to God's world. And yet, God is still in his world. He is still the great warrior. He is still the defender of his people at the same time, is bringing those two things together. So that's in the first place. Uh, And we are being encouraged to tell the truth um, about injustice through the psalm for us or on behalf of other people. But what does that solve? Uh, Where does that get us Um, just by acknowledging what's true, what's next? And that's where we get this next step about asking for help. And that if you go on down, this is... This is the, surely the most uncomfortable section of this psalm to read, uh, verses 9 through 11, uh, where this psalm is encouraging the people of God to say, As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land, and let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. This is a uh, rather poetic and targeted uh, way of asking for help, of praying for the undermining of these enemies. And this is the part where I think if we're honest, particularly as Christians, that things get a little complicated for us inside. But before we solve that, let's just look at this, that we are being encouraged to ask for help. And what do these things mean here, um, All you know, these, this imagery that the psalmist is using? Uh, there have been various interpretations of what they all mean. Um, 
you know, it could give several different options of their, you know, their common metaphors for divine judgment, not human judgment. You know, fiery pits uh, or miry pits being pits filled with flowing water and fire. They're, they're, they're uh, inescapable um, situations. And I don't know exactly what all of those mean, but I think if we see there's a pattern here uh, that if we look into it that, um, look in verse 9, uh, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. And then in the end, in verse 11, let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. That these are prayers in a way for the, the, the very un- injustice that is being caused would be turned around and work the same kind of um, problem upon those who are uh, spreading the injustice. So that the injustice, we're praying that the injustice would actually be the tool through which justice would be served in the world. That what is reaped would then, what is sown would then be reaped. And the whole purpose of this is because um, God has made a world that is just. He has made a world that is good. He has made a world where people should not be hurt and where people should not be slandered. And being a part of the people of God specifically and having this longing for God's kingdom to come and things being made right involve God's justice coming as well. It necessarily involves God's justice coming. And so what this is a prayer for is that God's justice, the one that will come in the end when everything is made right, that it would come even now and that things would be set right um, even in small ways and in pictures and tastes that we'll get even now. That we're asking for help of God's justice to come um, and his world uh, to be made right even where we are. And this, I want to use an illustration that, with a little bit of trepidation, because it could be, it could, I don't want it to come across wrongly. But I see this all the time in, um, I'm not a great sports fan. I mean, I like to watch sports. But there's, you know, when somebody wins a game at the end, um, when your team wins and they are, everybody's ecstatic and everybody's jumping around. And then you look at all of the other players, like there's a sense in which you see that they're crestfallen. And that there's victory on one side and there's great sadness on the other side. And that that's actually a part of rooting for someone in sports is that you're hoping to win. And that in hoping to win, then there's also somebody that is losing. And this is what I don't mean by that. I don't mean that God is sitting up there and he is um, taking delight in anyone's misfortune or that we should take delight in anyone's misfortune. But there is a realism in this psalm that in order for God's kingdom to come, it will require um, justice to come as well. It will require the defeat of all powers. It will require him to triumph over all evil. And that this is actually the pathway of how his justice is going to come. Now, that puts us in a very difficult position, I think, as Christians as well. Because as soon as we think about that, and as soon as we have this longing for justice, if we put aside that longing, then that's not just, because that doesn't do justice to the world that God has made, and the one we hope for that's coming. But in hoping for his justice to come, where's the compassion? Where's the mercy that we should hope for? How do we even pray these things? And this is where we're being driven to here at the end, about thanking God for his justice. And this is where all of this is setting us up, and it is leading us um, to consider. 
If you'll look in the end, we have this beautiful you know, statement of faith where the psalmist says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name and the upright shall dwell in your, in your presence. This is the promise, this is a confident um, statement of faith about what we know will come, about what God will do. And how does God do this? How does he maintain the cause of the afflicted? And how does he execute justice? And what does that do for us? And of course, that's where we have to consider this in, 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 within the whole story. And that how he executes justice is through his son, Jesus. And that in Jesus, God poured out the full brunt of his justice upon him. And that he could not just let injustice go and thereby wrong his creation and wrong his people. But he had to bring justice. And he did that by pouring out the full brunt of his wrath on his son. But in doing that, that through him, he was also able to extend his infinite mercy to those who continue to do wrong. Those who need forgiveness. Those who would be exposed before the justice of God. And come out on the wrong end of that. That in Jesus, God was able to accomplish perfect justice and perfect mercy at the same time. So that in him, he is able to deal with the evil people, the evil actions that we faced in a way that is perfectly just and perfectly merciful in a way we could never do. Only Jesus is able to read hearts. And to know what is going on inside of someone's hearts. And not only that, but to give a new heart. A heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. And it is Jesus who in taking that affliction is actually able to dwell with his people in our affliction. When we have wrongs done to us. When we are slandered. That there is a unique fellowship we now have with God when we are in that situation. Because he was in that situation. And it is through Jesus that he will bring the end of the story that we read about in Revelation 22, where we will see his face and we will all sing his thanks and his praise um, to him. All of this comes through him. And so when we see this, when we go through this process of both acknowledging the truth um, for what is really happening and asking for help and bringing that before the throne of God, bringing our real problems before them, uh, the real problems with other people, that what happens is that we are able to leave the obsession of that wrong that has been done to us at his throne, and we are able to move on. And in saying that, that doesn't mean we're leaving the injustice. We are actually going through the injustice, and we are handing it, handing it to him. But when we do that, when we bring it to God, to himself, the one who is able to execute perfect justice and mercy, and we are fellowship as those afflicted, then we are not quite so driven to have to respond in a way by taking it into our own hands and and, and, um, choosing revenge or continuing to obsess over these things. We're able to leave it with him. And from that position, we are actually able to move forward in justice in a way that is more about love than it is revenge or it is retaliation. But through him, we have hope and we have a way forward 
by bringing it to him. And even now, as we said in the beginning, that we can give thanks to him. Because Jesus has already come, then even now we can rejoice. We can be thankful for this taste, the first fruits of what is to come, and we can long for the true justice and mercy that we will receive in the end. And just lastly, what does this mean for us? This might mean that whenever you are wronged, that you can say that this is wrong and you can walk away without losing your cool totally. Because it's not up to you. You have a great defender and you have a fortress. This might help you vote, actually. That when we don't know what is the most just and what is the most right, and we feel like they're not good options and we're just doing the best we can to make decisions um, in our own way on behalf of our society, we can do that. We can do our best and have confidence and put it before him. That he is the one who's able to sort these things out. And he is the one who's able to carry them through to the end. So what I want to invite us to do is that this week to to go through this process. That maybe there's some way that you've been wronged before that you've never really had the courage to acknowledge or deal with. To pray through this. To tell the truth. To ask God for help. And to bring it before his son um, in thanksgiving. Uh, maybe you would do this on behalf of somebody else. Maybe you could do this on behalf um, of the church. But because we have Jesus who is with us, then this obsession, the sting of evil people is changed. And we're able to continue to give him thanks and give him hope even as we struggle with these things. So I'll stop there and let me pray for us. And we'll go ahead and start by uh, praying to him now. Father, have mercy on your people. Uh, Deliver us when we are wronged. Uh, Pierce our hearts where we are wronging others. And give us hope and praise in your Son. Uh, Be with your people this week in your spirit. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.